Psalm before the lesson will be number 778. Be with me, Lord. Be with me, Lord, or I cannot live without Thee. I
take time this day and each day that you're blessed to have to remember them in prayer. And as you saw in your bulletin, I'm thankful for Brother Virgil Horseman. I'm thankful for all his years of service, for his dedication and his example. I want you to see that I preach out of this Bible nine out of ten times, and it doesn't say Brent Baker on it. It says Virgil Horseman on it. It's his Bible that I carry. He gave that to me years ago. Virgil is um, one of the biggest reasons that I came to the Stanford Church of Christ. He came down to Mount Zion, down home, and he invited me through Brother Brown to come up and speak. And I got to meet him and many of you and others, and everyone is overly special to me. But Brother Horseman meant a lot. And I'm thankful that he did invite me. That started me on this journey and on this path to be with you all. And I just can't tell you how appreciative I am of that and uh, what an impact that he's had on my life. And I want you to know that Brother Horseman doesn't say a whole lot. And he's had that kind of impact on my life with just a few words. But just being around him and how he carries himself and how he delivered a message for his prayer, for his song leading, his uh, a sermon that he gave for his meditation around the Lord's table. I just can't say enough good things about uh, Mr. and Ms. Horseman. Remember to pray for them. And I just wanted to recognize him and that family say thank you for what they mean unto me. Now I would invite you please to open with me to the book of Genesis. Now it's going to be easy for you to find this morning. That's in the very front of your Bible. Chapter 25 and verse 8. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 8. Some folks say that I don't believe in the Old Testament. I get accused of that a lot of times. You'll find out that's not true. I'm going to share with you a whole lot of scriptures from the Old Testament this morning. This is a two-part sermon, and I have taught it before. It'll be familiar to you, but I thought that it would be appropriate, maybe even beneficial, to touch on this topic again. So I want to preach on it again. It'll take me more than one sermon to do it where we can really take the time to park and dissect and look at these scriptures and really learn what they have to say unto us. I, I want to talk to you about personal recognition in heaven. That's what I want to talk to you about. We want to investigate and see what the Bible has to say regarding the question that folks often ask. Will we know one another in the hereafter. Will you know me? Will I know you? Will you have characteristics that would identify your personality unto me in the hereafter? Have you ever wondered that? Has anyone ever asked you that question? I've been asked that a lot in my time. Especially when we're hurting. Especially when we're bereaved. We find ourselves at the funeral home. Folks want to know, is this the end? Or will I see this loved one or this church member 
or this friend again? Will I know them? I think the Bible has a definite answer. And I think that answer is in the affirmative. I do believe that. I think that answer is in the positive. Believe you, we But let's investigate. This is a significant phrase here in Genesis 25 and verse 8. We're told this. And Abraham gave up the ghost. What does that mean? What's it mean when someone gives up their ghost? Well, he passed away, didn't he? As we would say, he died. And died in a good old age. It's, it's a good thing to grow old. It's a good thing to enjoy your life, to have experiences, to learn. An old man, he was full of years. But this is the phrase that's significant. I want you to read the last part of that. What's it say? And he was gathered unto his people. What people? Who is he gathered to? What's that referring to? He was full of years, within a good old age. He died, gave up the ghost, recorded here in Genesis. But that wasn't the end. He was gathered unto his people. I want you to know that this phrase, gathered unto their people, is used several times times, namely the first five books of the Bible. <clears throat> in reference to Ishmael's death in Genesis 25, 17, it is also said that he is gathered unto his people. Regarding the passing of Isaac in Genesis 35 and verse 29, it is also said some variation he was gathered to his people. When Jacob passed away, Genesis chapter 49, it is said that he was gathered unto his people. And the same statement is made about both Moses and Aaron. I'm so sorry. I think it's that. Thank you, Shelby. When people motion to me when I preach it, I always get work. <laughs> Appreciate that. You bear with me, please, and I'll review a little bit. I don't know how long I haven't been amplified. Oh, I just stopped. It is good, good. Okay, can you hear me better? Is that well? Good, good. Thank you, thank you, Shelby. This was a very good ideal to have. A, you know, we used to have to come up, change batteries, and uh, elders had a great ideal there. Um, the congregation just to have a backup. So that, that worked out great. Thank you. Allow me to review just a moment. Ishmael, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, all have similar statement about their death. 
And it was not the end. Instead, they were gathered to their people. I want you to know, thinking about Moses, he was buried in an unknown place in the valley of Moab. That's what the Bible says. So when it says that Abraham was gathered to his people, he wasn't buried where Moses was at, nor any of the such. So it cannot be talking about a physical burial of the body. There is no doubt it's referring to a reunion of the Spirit in the hereafter. I want you to realize that, that when Abraham died, this promise was given to him. He would be gathered to his people. We're going to talk about the Mount of Transfiguration. And guess who's present once again? The Mount of Transfiguration. Two individuals we just mentioned, right? Moses and Elijah. There's activity. Peter knows who they are. Even though he's never physically met them through characteristics, was able to realize who they were. And I want to wet your whistle just a little because we'll talk about this tonight. But have you ever seen Jesus? Have you laid eyes on Him physically? Do you think you'll know Him in the afterlife? Absolutely. So just think, things that we take for granted speak to us about recognition. There's no doubt that we will know the Lord even though I've never physically Seeing Him, will you know God? What would happen to me if I saw God in this physical form? I believe the radiance would kill me. There's no doubt. It had to hide in the cleft of the rock, just the glory, the radiance to go by. Not able to soak upon God and live. But will I know Him? What we're talking about is our personal characteristics, our recognition, individuals recognize about ourselves. Go with me please to our scripture reading this morning. I think this example, and Shelby shared this at the funeral recently, and I thought it was an excellent point to share. So crystal clear in regards to what David had to say. Turn with me to 2 Samuel, in your Old Testament, chapter 12 and verse 23, and allow me to set the stage for you just a little as you turn. 2 Samuel 12 and verse 23. We know this, that David had been fasting, David had been weeping, and he was waiting to see what would happen to his child by Bathsheba. There's, there's no doubt. He was worried. He was upset. He wasn't taking any food. There were those that were attending to him and were concerned about him at the time. And that makes sense. And we can completely understand. I've had things happen in my life that worried me to the point where I went days without eating and had five or six pounds fall off of me easily. You can understand the kind of mental state that would have been prevalent at this time. As we know, the child was taken. And individuals were even more so worried about David and what he might do, but he did the exact opposite, right, of what they expected. 
He got up. What did he do? What does the Bible say? 2 Samuel 12, 23. He said, let's just read it. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? So he stopped fasting. Cleaned himself up, if you will. Got up. He said, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. But he shall not return to me. Let's talk about significance again. In our first example from Genesis 25, the significance was on the statement gathered to His people after death. Now there's significance here as well. What's the significance? The statement in 2 Samuel 12, 23, I shall go to Him. This passage can only be understood correctly if David meant he would know and recognize the child. He saw the child in heaven. There's no doubt. The paradise of God, David clearly said, I can't bring him back, but I can go to him. Was that comforting to David? Well, we know it had to be because he got up and he took food. He had been fasting. So this understanding had to mean something to him. The servants were, I, I would say they were pretty astonished at his behavior. I would venture to say that those that served David were worried about what he might do when he finds out that the child has died. Now David sinned. There's no doubt. He did something terrible. Have you ever did anything terrible? I sure have. So I can, I can relate to that. There's consequences for sin. And our sin affects others. David wanted to cover his sin, right? I'm going to send him to the front line after a while. I'm going to have him come home and I'll get everything covered. Folks won't know what I did. David is described. Now this is comforting to me. As I've done plenty of wrong in my time. I'm a sinner saved by grace. David is still referred to as a man after God's own heart, even in what he did. David was a repentant person. And sometimes that's what we have to do. Sometimes we have to say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I got carried away. It was not the right thing. I accept responsibility. I'll do what you'll have me to do. I want forgiveness. I want to make things right. And I'm going to go on with my life the best I can go on. That's what you have to do. And if folks won't forgive you then, that's not on you. You've done all you can do. That's on them. God will forgive you if you're willing to repent and ask for forgiveness as a Christian. He will. And there's none of us. There's no preacher. There's no elder. There's no deacon. There's no church member that's above that. That can happen to any man or Woman, So it's comforting to me to know that David is an example of faith. And he sinned grievously in his life. The child was taken. He was stricken with grief, but he had hope. And he would recognize and see that child once again. If we stop, I've got eight examples all together to share with you between two lessons. If we stopped right here with just these two, you could have confidence in just these two examples from the Bible. 
that it would make no sense for David to make such a statement if we will not know our loved ones in the hereafter. I call your attention, please, to Job, the book of Job, chapter 19. And let's read three verses. Job 19. In verse 25, I admire the patience of Job. Don't you? Those closest to Job said, Give it up. Those closest to him said, You've done something. Even his own wife, right? You, need, you should curse God and die. What did Job do? I've heard people tell what the Bible teaches about Job, and then they leave the last out. That'd be awful. Job was blessed. God restored. He lost a lot because of Satan. Let's make sure of that. It's Satan that goes in and out and accuses. He's an accuser. The evil that happened to Job, and those are, that's Satan's fault. God restored to Job and blessed him beyond measure. Let's not leave that out. Some folks leave that out, and that's awful. But let's read in verse 25, chapter 19 of Job. Job says this, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my sin worms destroy this body, now I want you to pay attention to that statement. Does Job believe that in eternity he's going to have this physical body? He doesn't believe that at all. And this is a prophecy. Okay? So what did he say? He's going to say, in my flesh I'm going to see God. And that, is he talking about his physical flesh? He can't be. He previously just said, my skin, worms, I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be in the dirt. I'm going to return to dust. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. But the soul, the spirit, goes back to the one who gave it, right? But what are we promised in 1 Corinthians 15? Are we not promised when Jesus comes back and the dead in Christ rise? Are we not promised a glorious body? A new tabernacle not made with men's hands? This earthly one will be dissolved. That's 2 Corinthians 5. Job understood that. He agreed. Here's what he said. This skin will be destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Now notice verse 27, because this is the significance. Whom I shall see for myself. In this glorious body, He's going to be able to see. Did you notice that? I'm going to see. Mine eye shall behold and not another, and my reins be consumed within me. Job said, it will be in his flesh, it's his eyes that would behold in the presence of God. Do you think Job feels like he will have an identity before God in that glorious body? You can't miss that. What, what did he say? I'm going to behold He's going to understand. And it's not going to be another. It's not going to be someone doing it for me. It's me. And it's not going to be in this fleshly body. That went back to the dirt, to the worms. 
But in that glorious body, that new flesh, I'm going to see God. I'm going to behold Him. My eyes, He even said that. That's how I'm going to see. I want you to think about that. Will we have characteristics that can be recognizable even in the glorious body? It appears so. I'm not going to fall out with anyone and argue, but it appears so, at least with what Job has to say. And now, let's go to the New Testament. Go with me, please, to the book of Mark. Matthew and then Mark. Old law is still in effect at this time, but it is a part of the New Testament as far as where it is found in your Bible. Go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, and let's just read six or seven verses together. This is recorded more than once. Eyewitness account. It's important. Mark chapter 9. And let's start our reading in verse 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John. So who do we know for a fact present? Jesus, before, right? Jesus, Peter, James, John, what do they all have in common? Well, they're all followers, they're all disciples, and they're all going to become what? Apostles in time, okay? Let's continue to read. And leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves. And what did Jesus do? He was transfigured before them. I have a definition here from Webster. I believe I wrote that down. What it means to be transfigured in someone's presence. What that means. Transfigured. It's to be changed. <coughs> easiest understanding. To be changed into a different form. Okay? When Jesus was transfigured, did they take notice? It's on a high mountain. He's doing it publicly. In their I know they went to a private place, but it's in their presence openly. Did they still recognize Him? Did they know it was still Jesus? God knew they knew because He said, this is My Son. So they still know it's Jesus. And His raiment, that's His clothing, became shining. It was exceeding white as snow so as no fuller on earth can white them. How pure is Jesus? And that's unrelated to our topic, but you have to make mention. How pure is the Lord? How white can He be? We sing the hymn, Wash me now and make me whiter than snow, Lord. Well, if anyone could, it's Jesus. Look how exceeding glorious He was. And there appeared unto them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. You're telling me that the transfigured Jesus was having a conversation, Moses and Elijah, 
in front of James, Peter, and John. And these two have been dead for years. Years. Did they know Jesus? They're conversing. Did Jesus know them? Had Jesus come in the flesh in the days of Moses? Oh, He's eternal. God said, let us make man in our image. Jesus has always been there. But had He come to this earth? No. But they knew Him. Was there personal recognition there? Absolutely. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, so He still knew who He was. It is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Elijah was translated, right? How did Peter know him? How? Peter has never met Moses physically. Lived before him. Years before him. And the same with Elijah. Called him by name. I don't want you to miss that. There's, this is here for a reason. We know that Jesus is glorious. We know He's powerful. We realize that you must hear Him. There's another lesson here as well. Let's continue. For He was not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son. You hear Him. And then we read the next verse. And they're with Jesus again. The other two are gone. Moses was buried in the valley of Moab. Somewhere. He's not in his physical body there. Elijah, again, had been gone as we would understand it for years. But they have activity. They're present. They're conversing. And Peter, who is normally bold, speaks that. Do you notice it said Peter answered? I don't remember Jesus ever asking him a question. He was terrified and he said something to Jesus who he still recognized who was transfigured as well. What's the lesson? These individuals knew one another. Peter was able to know individuals, who they were, call them by name, that he had never met. Was he more of a man than you are? Or a person? Just like you. He didn't accept worship. He said, get up. We've had four examples. All four examples agree. And we have New Testament examples as well beyond the book of Acts. And we're going to study them tonight. In the book of Revelation, I'll leave you this thought. We'll pick back up tonight on this. In the book of Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, you have a picture. Now I do understand that the book of Revelation is a highly figurative writing. But we can notice some things. In Revelation 6, verses 9 and 10, there are individuals in the presence of God that have been martyred 
for their faith in Christ. Treated horribly. And what does it say they're doing? We're going to read it tonight. I want to encourage you to take a look at this afternoon if you can, those two verses. Revelation 6, 9 and 10. They're crying out. They remember what happened. Lord, when will You avenge us? When are You going to do it? They have personality. They still know what happened to them. And they're looking for justice. Do I believe that there are physical bones? No, I do not. But is there a lesson there? Absolutely. It agrees. If we read the account of the rich man and Lazarus, who did the rich man think about? He said, how, how many brothers do I have? Was it five? Send someone to them. Tell them, warn them not to come here where I'm at. He conversed. The account here in Revelation has the same understanding. They're talking and remember. The Bible doesn't say us knowing anything from death forward, but it indicates that individuals remember things before Jesus comes back. Now I want you to know when Jesus comes back and you go to heaven, He is wiping away all tears. You don't worry about that. But at this time, while He tarries, we have example of those remembering previous their life. In heaven, there's no tear, there's no sorrow. Those things are gone. I think we've, we stop here. We build a pretty adequate case. But there's recognition after death. We've still got Philippians to look at. We've still got Colossians. We've still got 1 Thessalonians. And some more Revelation. Philemon, if we wanted to. I want to leave you with this thought. I want you to remember we're going to talk about it tonight, but last Sunday night, we talked about the Apostle Paul. In the presence of God, I will glory about you. But he won't know you. How's he going to glory? Paul said, you're my glory. This is taught in 2 Corinthians as well. He said this to the Corinthians and also to the Thessalonians. You're my glory. We jokingly say, I said it to Deb recently, how many stars will you have in your crown? You've heard folks say that. How many folks have you won to Jesus and get you a star in your crown? Well, that, I'm kidding on that, of course. But Paul did say that every person has been faithful and obedient to the Gospel is glorious to me. And I'm following Christ. You exemplify me as I exemplify Christ. So all glory to Christ, but still, I love you. And in the presence of God, I'm going to celebrate that you're there too. Does he know him? Does he think he'll know him? Why would he write that? Why would the Holy Spirit allow Paul to write something that is not true or doesn't make sense? But if he does know you, it makes complete sense. If I do make it and you're there, that's going to be a joy. And we're going to spend an eternity together when Jesus comes in the clouds of the air. And we're going to know Jesus. That's the clincher right there. Right. I've never seen Jesus, 
but I know Him from His Word. I know the characteristics. I know what it says about Him. And I don't have to behold Him physically. When He comes, I'll know Him. And in heaven, I'll know Him. And we'll know the Spirit. And we'll know God. There is no doubt. And you know that by the characteristics that exemplify them. The same about us. Same about us. I've heard of individuals being in gruesome accidents where their face and their body was maimed, but folks still know them because they know their personality. They know their voice. They know their demeanor. And they say, He may look different. He may be in a different form, but that is my brother. That's my family. I still know them by the recognition of their personality. And that's what we're talking about. So take comfort that this whole world is not the end of sin, strife, and doubt, and disappointment that we all deal with. And those that have gone on before, you will see them again that are in Christ. And you will know them. The Bible has given us enough to have confidence. Like I said, I'm not going to fall out with someone over it. But we have enough examples to have confidence. And we must be prepared and ready. That's what the Bible is crucially clear about. Is that none of this matters at all. If you are outside of Christ. When you depart this life. That's what's crystal clear. You must be located in Christ. And you must be added to the church. And we do that simply by responding to Him through faith and grace from His Word. Would you believe it? And would you respond to it by repentance, confession of faith, and burial in the watery grave of baptism into Christ to be risen to walk in a newness of life? Brother Shelby, Sister Wilma, you cannot rise out of the sprinkle. May I, may I say, we talked about that in Bible study, that some say we could sprinkle, or you can't rise out of that. You rise to walk in a newness of life when you are immersed in Just like Jesus was buried. Dirt was not just poured on Him. It was not. He was buried and He resurrected. And when we are baptized, Romans 6 says, we're buried... And just like Christ, His power, we are raised. That takes much water. And we walk in a newness of life. Born again of both water and spirit. Not of something that is corruptible, but the incorruptible seed that can never perish, which is the Word of God. And no matter what the topic is, if it's salvation, if it's personal recognition, if it's faithfulness, if it's the body of Christ, the Bible gives us the answer. And it's up to us to follow. I fall short. We all do. But we're striving to follow it to the best of our ability. If you have a need to respond for your soul's salvation, please know it would be our joy. It would bring us tremendous happiness to assist you and if you've obeyed those blessed commands and you are present and you have a need to render, to come back to the straight and narrow way, we want to assist you. If you just desire the prayers of Christian people on your behalf, if that's your desire, 
Pray and honor that as well. Whatever your need may be, why don't you come just together we stand while we sing for your encouragement. For I can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again, nothing but the blood
Pastor Daniel, Ben, Brent, and all who serves in this worship service. Father, be it Kevin, Cindy, Bethany moving, and all the different things. Be with Jamie, be with Josh tomorrow in procedure. Father, be with all of us that love Jean and Desi. We hate they're gone, but life goes on. Be with Jill taking care of Ron and Joyce, and be with Joyce, get her feeling better. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. 